Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Donovan here. Uh, it's been a while since we dropped an episode on you. Been on break, but excited to get back into it. I'm jo- joined today by Joe Brinkman. Hi, Joe. Hello. I have a surprise for you. Oh. So our our topic today is. Do you remember what it is? See if you can get uh, this right. Tattoos, uh, sodomy, and something else. Well, not necessarily in that order, but oh. yes. <laughs> I, it's lobsters, tattoos, and sodomy. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that was uh, I was on um, Tinder, and that was someone's interests. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on Tinder. I was telling someone we we're going to record this. It really sounds like a date gone wrong. You know, starts off nice, <laughs> little lobster. <laughs> Next thing you get a tattoo, and it goes downhill from there. That's that's not cool, Joe. Um, it's no joking matter. That's not yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. <laughs> but actually, that's what we're going to talk about, and hopefully uh, here in a little bit, it will become clear why. But when I thought of that topic, I thought of you. You have a surprise, though? I do have a surprise, oh. so it's not related to the... It's not um, related to sodomy? No. <laughs> it's not related. That is the surprise. <laughs> oh, well... Is this why you're leaving Redeemer, Joe? It's just, <laughs> no. it's just <laughs> this guy. Um, the irreverence. Um, no, it's a different... I was listening to this podcast, and it has nothing to do with today's topic. But I thought, hey, I, All want, right. I, want, I want you to hear this. So it's a guy named... Yeah, I'm not going to name his name. Mm. Maybe if, you, if you're a fan, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll recognize his voice. But he's, ta- he's referring, referencing an article where um, basically it's written by some scientists and um, they're confessing within their own field of um, geology uh, that they're racist. So, uh, which everything is, so I'm not really sure kind of what the big deal is. However, they actually give specific reasons. Check this out. It's like a... 30 seconds or something. If I can get it to work. Historically, access has been limited to mostly able-bodied, white, cisgender, heterosexual men. As the geosciences strive to be more accessible, the community must recognize that BIPOC and other marginalized geoscientists are not... (laughs) Marginalized geoscientists. Um, Anyway. Other marginalized geoscientists are not are not always safe in geoscience spaces. Why? For example, holding objects, for example, a rock hammer, has been viewed as suspicious and continues to be used as a reason to call the black to call the police on black people, <laughs> which can lead to the death of black individuals entirely because of racial profiling and an unjustified fear of black people. Okay. You heard that right. Geology oh. is racist. Because black people are afraid of holding hammers. Sorry for the interruption there. I accidentally hit pause on the computer instead of the phone. But anyway, that's the end of the clip. What do you think of that, man? I mean, I know this is coming out of left field, you know, but that's how I've got to process these things. I don't get a warning. I'm just walking, driving in the car, and, and this just comes across my my life, and I've got to process on the spot. Like, I don't know. People can do what they want. <laughs> Very libertarian of you. Whatever they want. Whatever they want. This relates back to our no, topic. They can't, they can't think whatever they want. Other do their never mind. They can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's control. Somebody somebody's wielding the hammer. Dang. It might be even a person of color. It it, it probably is. Wow. So anyway, that's not our topic today. I just was like that's just crazy, man. Anyway, so that is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds. I've heard a lot of things like that lately. But what's funny is he says, uh, historically, BIPOC, you know, people of color, of things like holding objects, and then he gave a specific example, 
you know, it's like specifically like hammers, but just more generally holding objects. Like what kind of job can you get? Right. Where you, you know, oh, he's holding an object. It's, it's absurd. But anyway, yeah. what a window into what's going on out there. It's, it's out of control. So I hear a buzz. Yeah, hold on. Let me turn this down. That's my phone. Um, oh. Lobsters. Tattoos. Sodomy. When I sent you that text, said this is what I want to talk about. What would what, you think? Were you like, what the heck? Or does it, is it, did you intuit why? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> You're suppressing the moment. <laughs> Well, the, so no, I I think yeah, like what what parts of the law do you keep, and how do you know which ones are appropriate and which ones aren't, and what do we do with the Old Testament yeah. law? Yeah, I mean that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is a huge topic. One that I would actually encourage you, listener, to take the time to study this, and we can resource mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. It it could take a while to get through the weeds on this there's a lot of well here's why okay so the big question is kind of different ways to put it you said you know what parts of the law still apply and in what sense do they apply you know another way to put it is um how does the old testament relate to the new testament how's the old covenant relate to the new covenant um kind of go even bigger like how do we read the bible right like What's our interpretive grid? Because we're going to have one. What's the appropriate interpretive grid as we read the Bible to make sense of things? So it's a big question. And then the other challenge is that um, I think that in most Christian settings, as you're just going around, people are talking about Bible, people are talking about the gospel, and even teachers they're not always consistent. All those voices aren't consistent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're getting um, a lot of mixed messages and assumptions, you know, about people's own understanding of, of the answer to that question. And so if you're in the, you know, like I look back to when I was developing this, this was back in seminary, and <clears throat> cutting through those weeds is, is a challenge, you know, because you're starting from a place. Of confusion, it isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm over here, and I'm going to be confirmed in it, or I'm going to move over here. It's just that you're just in a place of confusion, yeah. and then you go to seminary, and they're saying something, and then you're listening to your favorite preacher, and he's got different assumptions. But I, it, it's worth the work. It could take some time. It could take several months of really sorting through some material. Yeah. But yeah. would you say that would be an important study? Oh yeah, I think it's one of the more important studies you could do, because I I think people are mostly confused about that subject in Christian circles. What's the law? What's the place of the law? Um, not only as I read it in the in the Old Testament, but now for me today, why is that church down the street not permit women to speak, but the but the other church does, and they both seem to love Jesus? So what's the problem? And all this kind of stuff is constantly yeah the churches split over this people leave over this people hate each other well they use this as an excuse to hate each other um you know yeah it's always this big problem yeah feels like yeah so yeah kind of a big deal and so let me kind of start with the the title of the podcast why that lobsters tattoos and sodomy those are three um, uh, applications, issues that are raised in the Old Testament, maybe not lobsters specifically, but shellfish, mm-hmm. um, that are mentioned in the Old Testament law. Uh, and then the, they're not necessarily repeated in the New Testament, but more importantly, more pertinently, in today's culture, Western Christian culture, it seems like um, to the aunt, to the person outside looking in that maybe we're picking and choosing from the Bible. So, like for example, 
you know, I've heard this in the debate over homosexuality, right? right. Whether or not homosexuality is a sin. I see this in a, almost every comment thread. Christians, you hypocrites, you're picking and choosing. I bet you eat lobster, don't you? It's like, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Right? You're picking and choosing from the Old Testament. So, And most people wouldn't know how to respond to that. Right. Yeah. So we want to help you. And again, I hope today's episode is, is foundationally helpful, but there's a lot more to learn. Um and then the tattoo thing, obviously. I mean, the Old Testament says don't make markings on your skin. And then I have tattoos. Like I was literally at the beach a few weeks ago, and a guy asked me. I was chatting with him, and you know, it came up that I was a pastor. And he goes, "Well, what do you think of tattoos?" And got to talking about that. So, if your tattoo is in Hebrew, though, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, Greek or Aramaic or Aramaic, but don't put any Sanskrit on there because that's especially dubious. <laughs> Sanskrit. Because that means you're new age Ooh. and marking your skin, which is really bad. So if you sin in Hebrew. You can sin in I Hebrew. I swear in Hebrew. You can swear. You can curse in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Aramaic, but not in not in uh, any other ancient You can language. preach another gospel. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want. Just get the, the tense right. That's right, the tense. So... Maybe I'll start by kind of identifying some big, um, kind of big perspectives, and identify where where we land as a church. Um, one of the one of the questions, key questions, is the degree to which there's continuity or versus discontinuity between the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, there's a spectrum of of how you will answer that question. So, on one end, you have what's called dispensationalism, which May she rest in peace. <clears throat> Miss dispensationalism, which is going to affirm that there's a lot of discontinuity, more discontinuity than, say, I would. And so, hence the term dispensations. They view God's movement through time, through redemptive history, as a series of pretty differing dispensations, which I won't go through them all. Um, and ultimately where that leads this is kind of where you get to the uh the 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 idea of the rapture and the left behind series and all this because there's a there's a real strong discontinuity between the church and israel all right so god is talking to israel in the old testament in the new testament he he kind of enters a new dispensation starts doing something different starts working with gentiles puts the the jewish stuff on pause and then Jesus is going to come back someday, rapture of the church, the Gentile church, and then Jesus is going to come back and resume that old dispensation, working with the Jews to establish Israel, right? So that's pretty discontinuous view of how we view the relation between the Old Testament and New Testament. Contrast, on the other end, you have where you see more continuity, and there's going to be, this is going to be a spectrum, but more continuity. And I, I lean pretty far there, that's where you get into like covenant theology, although I'm just short of that, I would say, I'm a new covenant theologian. But a lot of continuity. And that's where you'll hear me saying things like, well, God's always been doing kind of the same thing, which is redeeming a people. And he did it mostly through this ethnic group of Jews. But the real Jews and the real Israel has always been true believers. And there's a continuity between them and us. You know, the makeup can change in terms of racially and ethnically because of how the gospel moves throughout the globe and throughout time but it isn't a different people we are israel right we are and and it's all one people who have always been there's no pause we're not he's not going to come back and rebuild the temple and reestablish the land he's building the temple right now right so you guys have heard me preach and talk that way and that's because i come from a more covenantal perspective that has a lot more continuity so that's kind of a big big picture just to kind of if you're wondering camps <coughs> terms like where would redeemer be would be generally more covenant we're reformed in that way although that can be a confusing term because joe MacArthur's reformed in some ways and anything you would add or nuance there joe i mean that's yeah that's good to lay it out like that because the way you view the law is within a system of thought already it's not its own thing that you know you have to see it within a system so for instance systematic theology is called that because it's a system of way of a way to approach the scriptures 
Now, I know that sounds bad because you're like, aren't you reading into the scriptures? But the, it's a it's it's a back and forth. You you you're always going to come to scripture with some presupposition and system in your mind, but you also are looking at scripture to inform you, and it it really is a both and. It's there's no pure coming to scripture with nothing in your mind. So I know some people challenge that, and they're like Bible only. Well. You're really not being honest if you think that you you can truly come to the Bible with no preconceived notions of what the entire plan of God right. is. So the the key is to identify what is your preconceived notion. Is it actually good? Does it hold up at all? Is there good defense for it? Even if it might disagree with somebody else, is there at least decent defense for it? Do you get it in your own mind? Okay, well, run with that. For instance, covenant theology that you mentioned, which is typically reformed. It has its roots in the Westminster Confession and things like this. And so if you study that and you kind of start to get that system and you say, I generally agree with that, that's how I'm going to, that's the lens that I'm going to view the law through, for example. Now you actually have a grid and you can, yeah, you can sharpen that and you can be tested on that and people can argue with you on it and that's fine. But at least you know generally where you're coming from. And now why does the law operate the way it does within that system of thought? So dispensationalism is going to have a very different view on that. Um, That's fine. We just need to know what those views are. Well, it's not fine. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's like, know what it is, be able to uh, talk through that. And I'm not saying everybody has to be a theologian, because absolutely not. But this stuff isn't that hard to get a basic understanding of, right? And hopefully the stuff we talk about today, more specifically application, will help you kind of intuit as you you go through the Old Testament. because I'd like to share the moment it clicked for me that I was not a dispensationalist. So yeah. I went I went to a uh, dispensationalist seminary. So it's not like I haven't been exposed to those ideas. It just it just didn't sit right. And so you were talking about you know and we, I I grew up dispensationalist. So. Okay. So uh, by the way, for people to know what that means in general, like most Bible churches are dispensational. Um, Dallas Theological Seminary is the biggest dispensational seminary in the world. Like that's the most popular. So name it, names like like Bible church, like New Covenant Bible Church in town here, Faith in, Bible Church, like yeah, I mean, good they, they, gospel preaching evangelical churches. Nowadays, there's a lot more diversity in the way people think, but those churches were started okay as dispensational and. With Charles Ryrie, the Ryrie Study Bible, that's completely dispensational. That's it was put popularized. Moody, D.L. Moody, Moody, and you know was strongly dispensational. So when people think about that word, that's what we're talking about. That kind of belief. It's and it's generally borne a lot of good fruit. We just think there's particular ways that it's gone a little off, and leaves people hanging with some really odd interpretations of the end times, for one example, and the law, for another example. So yeah. So, for sitting in a conversation with one of our young leaders the other day, he uh, he kind of was pontificating and said something like, "You know, wonder if the mask will be masks will be the mark of the beast." Right. Now that tells me a handful of things. <laughs> one, we, we there's some room to grow and learn here, but that that's where this kind of dispensationalist idea of what the mark of the beast is, which is so in a more covenant approach. What I would say, the mark of the beast is basically faith in Christ. That's I've read storms on it. I think he's right. Like, it's not actually a physical mark that's put on our foreheads or something like that that allows it. You know, they're taking they're getting too literal in the book of Revelation, in my opinion. But that thing has snuck into pop culture and it even sneaks into churches, reformed churches, and even reformed growing leaders who don't realize because they haven't. They haven't studied that yet. That oh, that's actually I'm carrying in this assumption from dispensationalism, and I don't really realize it. Right. And so yeah, it's all over the place. So here's the moment. I'm I'm at seminary, and we're going back and forth, and I do have my assumptions, but I am also being informed by the scriptures. And here's one of the big rubs: is that you've got all these promises to Israel, right? Isaiah, we've been reading Isaiah. And I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. I'm going to birth a nation. It's like oh, okay. Come on, right, right. Come, come back a, and do in this. a day, right? Yeah, the nation is reborn. Oh, that's Israel in 1948. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, 
um, where I'm preaching this passage more like either new heavens and new earth or the birth of the church type thing, you know, like um, the, his redemptive work with his people. Now, okay, but here's the point. You're seeing all this stuff in the Old Testament, all these promises to Israel, and then all of a sudden there's this silence about it in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And it's all this focus on other stuff, going to the nations and... You know, preaching the gospel to the nations, basically. And it's like, uh, what happened to all this talk? And so you got to answer that question. And the dispensationalist answer is, it's on pause. Mm -hmm. It's a different dispensation. Going to go get the nations, and then that will resume. The covenant answer is, those were shadows pointing to the substance, which is Christ. He it is was always there. This the the reality of the new covenant was always present. Right, right. he was always really gathering his real people, working right. within this uh, shadow. It was a shadow government, <laughs> if you will. And so here was the moment. I I went up to my professor, and I said, I, I, "You got to help me with something." Like, I I get the argument, and I think I get my argument. Like, my problem is that what I'm seeing is that the apostles that are writing scripture are are treating the Old Testament as though they were covenant theologians. Like they keep saying things right. like, you are a nation. You are the royal priesthood. You are living stones. It's like, why are they talking like that? And his answer was, they had a temporary permission to use an improper hermeneutic. <laughs> That's what you have to say. They, they, so I was really faced with the answer, the question, did the apostles... We call that hermeneutical gymnastics. Yes. So a hermeneutic is your interpretive grid, what we've been talking about. What is the grid you're going to use to interpret the Bible? And I'm looking at Peter and John and James and Paul, and they're all like, they're taking all these shadows and saying, we are now in the reality. And the question is, are they right? Did Jesus actually teach them how to study the Bible? Or did he say, hey, this isn't quite right, but it'll work for what we're doing now. And I was just done. I was just like, that is not optional. They have been awakened. Right. I mean, Jesus on the Emmaus Road with the disciples showing them basically yeah. Oh, yeah. him in the Old Testament and everything. Like, he actually taught them to study the Bible. They had an awakening. Ah. Oh. We've yeah, been hoping in shadows. Exactly. They they in a lot of ways. I mean, we don't want to badmouth dispensationalism because I think there's a lot of really good parts to it. But in some of these aspects of it, it seems just silly to me because you're saying basically this awakening that they had was improper. Right. And I'm saying no. It's the whole thing. It's the whole point. It's the whole point. They finally got it. They were living in a quote dispensational grid. With Jesus, they got saved from dispensationalism. They got saved from dispensationalism, <laughs> and now we got a bunch of guys telling us to come back into it. That's how I feel. Yeah, and I think that um, it's just it doesn't hold water in the end for the punch of the Bible, the main point of the scriptures, seeing Christ in all things. Dispensationalism puts puts a a leash on you from from prohibits you from doing that actually it says hold on hold on hold on hold on christ isn't there yet wait 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 whoa wait 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 and we're like no 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 he's already he's everything yeah and now the substance yeah so with the law that's really significant you know what i'm gonna start preaching in in the fall hebrews oh yeah that's a the he, substance hebrews is a long diatribe about this very look forward subject. to that this fall a long diatribe <laughs> several of them <laughs> i mean it's the most incredibly laid out argument for why to not be a dispensationalist. oh my gosh <laughs> Ooh. okay so now this idea of continuity and discontinuity. I, I'm arguing for a lot of continuity in terms of God has always been redeeming his people. He's been always building what's the real nation. Like, remember when Isaiah like laments that many have left and no one believes, and he basically God says, I have a remnant. Like there's always been the true church within this nation. And that that continues the same people, one people for all time. Now there are some there is some discontinuity. It's not all just continuous. There's some. There's a new covenant versus right. an old covenant. 
right. there's a dis there is some discontinuity there. So, and I think this is the key to addressing the lobster, the um, the sodomy, the <clears throat> what was the other one? Whatever tattoos, tattoos. Yeah. Okay. So the discontinuity is that, among other things, w- one of the key ones is that. Um, God is no longer running a theonomy on the earth. And what I mean by that is that God was president of Israel. <laughs> kind of right? Like he's always the God of the world and always runs the nations in a sense, in the ultimate sense, right? But but in that time and place, he was literally the king of Israel specifically and not of the other nations and he gave them instructions very specifically on how to run their culture their laws and how to live out the gospel in that particular time and place right that's changed right Israel's been released in that way I would say and all the nations are now kind of on equal playing ground under the sovereignty of God and there's not like America is not God's country right and neither is thailand and neither is china in that sense but in the old testament it was that way he picked one nation and said i'm going to very directly be involved in micromanaging your affairs right yes. i'm going to write a constitution basically for you laws ethics even cultural norms for you right and now that's not the case anymore right so that starts to get into this idea of like why it might be the case that in the old testament some of the laws don't continue and some do right there's discontinuity and continuity within the law like so we'll, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time but basically it's always against the law to commit moral evil it's always against the law it's not in the new testament now now murder is fine now sexual perversion is fine no that's always been against the law and then some things are not always against the law. Now let me, like cultural practices, um, let me give an example. And this is where it takes some intuition and you know, kind of reading the scriptures, but my kids are currently, on, I'm, I'm directly running their lives like God was running Israel's lives. All right, I'm basically there, this is a theonomy and I, I play the role of God here. Like, and so when they leave my house, there are things that um, will always be right or wrong that we've taught them. We don't lie to one another, you know, we don't commit murder, all the sins, right? But there's certain, certain things that may change based on their context, their adults. Like, for example, here's a principle I, I would want my kids to, to have. It is good to take care of your health and body, right? We are... God's temple and to care for it, be stewards of our own bodies to pursue health. Application in our home. You can only have sugar cereal once a week. Now, some people don't have that at all. They're making their specific attempt to apply that broader principle, which is always true, right? Or right. you need to go to bed at 8, 9, 10, whatever it is. Once they leave this theocratic establishment and go establish their own, some things continue. It will always be important for them to care for their, their health. They don't necessarily have to go to bed at 10. They may decide that was too late and go earlier. They may decide to eat, never eat sugar cereal because we were having too much of it and they don't want to be diabetic. Like, who knows? But it's an analogy that shows this idea that, that happens in all of our lives that there's abiding principles, moral good, that always exists, never goes away, regardless of dispensation or covenant era and then there's some things that do because you've moved out of the house right so that's my my analogy so my contention is that jesus god was living where the jews were living in god's house basically directly and he was like here's how we're gonna live and sometimes he said things that were always binding in the sense that not that we're saved by them right because we're saved by the blood of christ but that they are a reflection of his holy and good character and nature. Now, sorting through those. So that's a big principle, which I think we can adopt. Now you still have to do the work of sorting through. You know, okay, so I've got a bucket list here, or two buckets basically. One is always abiding, always binding, always 
relevant and reflecting the true holy character of God, and the other is not necessarily. Depends on the culture, time, and place. Mm-hmm. So, let's take some easy ones. Like, so can I? I mean, yeah, go ahead. You're go ahead. basically describing the this idea that. Uh, reformed camps say there's the civil, ceremonial, and the moral. Well, that's how they end up kind of putting. They put. They're going to put the moral and the abiding. Right. But I'm giving a yeah. I'm giving the operating giving principle a, for why right. they would do that. Right. It's the broad, higher principle of there's some things that are just always good and true and reflecting the char- true character. And of that's God. the moral law of the God. moral law. Right. Yes. Like and the then, Ten Commandments, for example. Well, here's where I'm not a covenant theologian. <laughs> yes. So I would. I would. I would exclude the Sabbath from that. Mm-hmm. Yes, you sure would. <laughs> you don't? I don't. I To be really honest, I, I'm stuck between pure covenant theology and new covenant, which, for example, John Piper is new covenant. Yeah. Um, uh, on the covenant side, Presbyterians, uh, you know, other reformed guys, maybe like Tim Keller in some ways. Yeah, yeah. He's PCA. So do you observe the Sabbath? Uh our family seeks to observe the Sabbath, yes, on Saturday. Not because it's Saturday, but just because it's a day we want to take. Well, well, you have to work on Sunday. Here's the thing. I, To be really honest, I don't quite know yet what to do with it. Sure. But I, I definitely, because I'm going to Westminster Theological Seminary, which is strongly Presbyterian-leaning and covenant. So I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of that. I'm getting a lot of their Kool-Aid, so to speak. And so I'm... Personally, I'm I, I'm stuck right now between covenant and new covenant. New covenant. Do you want to explain new covenant as opposed to covenant? Sure. Um, as best I can. Uh, it's been a while since I studied on it, but I know that that's kind of where my intuition intuitions led. Um, I think that it would just be a step less, you know, a little more toward a little less continuity. So there's a there's a a handful of. Uh, Issues where we would we would say disagree with covenant theologians that all right, I'm not being very clear. I can name the issues like infant baptism, right, right. Uh, I would say Sabbath, the the, yep. the observation of the Sabbath. Um, those are the big ones. Those are the big ones um, where we would say no. We think you're overplaying your hand here. Um, you're going too much continuity. We don't think infant baptism is. You know, I don't want to get into this whole lesson about baptism, but. There's a couple application points for sure, but they're pretty similar. They're pretty close to right. one another. Right. One's, if I could say one's more maybe kind of emphasizing the Old Testament and and seeing how it plays forward, and the other one's maybe looking at the New Testament, like the New Covenant. And, I don't know. It's a little right. tricky. And to think about it in, ter- in general terms, Reformed Baptists are generally New Covenant. So that's like us at, at Redeemer. That's like John Piper. Um, Presbyterians, you know, Reformed Church of America, these kinds of denominations and churches tend to be purely covenant. They're, they, they do still do infant baptism. They still do observance of the Sabbath and have reasons for that. There's kind of a... A spectrum to that to how they do that but in general if people are thinking oh what's the difference like in general if you're a Baptist and you're reformed you're probably a new covenant the- theology person you're not keeping the Sabbath you're not you're not doing infant baptism you there's a reason for that Presbyterians like Tim Keller are and there's a reason for that and that's where the little differences are between those two but just so people can sure. think yeah, about yeah, because we're throwing those terms out um, but yeah, so you said like the Ten Commandments. We're talking about this idea of uh, there's parts of the what is revealed in the Old Testament in terms of the law that is uh, just abides forever because it's moral. It's it's tied to the moral revelation of who God is and His character and holiness. And other parts are contextual because of the theonomy. And we would say the civil and ceremonials kind of way to, to so let's let's go through those moral law something that talks about how we love one another love love god and love one another right and then the ceremonial law that's the practices of the priests and the temple and the sacrifices and all these things and then you have the civil 
which is the government. Here's how taxation is going to work. Here's how punishments are going to go. This is why, you know, we're going to stone people for adultery. You know, like right. that that kind of stuff is in the Old Testament. So, like, why don't we do that anymore? Well, we would the the broad argument is that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. It was a shadow mm-hmm. that was in place to point to Christ, to build in us this need to build this tendency in us to look to God for provision. We can't save ourselves. We need an intermediator or a mediator. We need a sacrifice, you know, and then once that thing is revealed, that thing being Christ, we don't need to play that game anymore. It's like, oh, the only thing we do now that's kind of like that is is communion, which is a looking back. It's It's a, then he instituted that in the New Testament. He goes, hey, do this. In remembrance of me, I, do, I want you to have something by which you are reminded of your constant need for the provision which I've already brought. Right. Right. So in a sense, that's like a little shadow that looks back instead of looking forward. So, cer- so ceremonial stuff done. Who's the priest? We are the priests, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no longer this temple. Who's what's the temple? Where we are the temple. Christ is the chief cornerstone. The whole kind of thing. Civil, right? He's no longer running the the government in that way. He's kind of released Israel, and the gospel is going out to all the nations. He's doing the true and better work of gathering the nations to Christ. So every nation is kind of handed over to figure out their own civil law. And there's a whole other discussion of how much should that try to be aligned with the Bible law. Man, I'd love to do that topic with you sometime. Like, should we stone women for adultery? Right, yeah, I mean, that's... There's a lot to sort through there, but... Um. Yeah, so we won't go down that path. Um, but the moral law, laws by how we love one another, abide. Okay, but now you got to go specifically, as you read in the Bible, when you come across a command, like, let's take the ones we, we uh, picked, lobsters. It was illegal, it was against Mosaic law to eat shellfish. Why do we not do that anymore? Joe? Or maybe you do. Do you eat shellfish? Uh, sometimes. Well, Joe, you not don't generally. eat pork, though. So it, this is the thing. Like, in, in, if you read the law in the Old Testament you, it, about civil things like that, how to how to handle the community, what were the guidelines for this community, not associated with worship, but associated with life, everyday life. So what do you eat? Pork. Pigs are actually proven to be pretty dirty. Shellfish are actually the garbage dumps of the ocean. So I think there's reasons health-wise God directed his people in certain ways. He's also setting them apart from other cultures in that time, saying live differently so you're set apart. This is really important, right? Because I think this is going to be related to the tattoo issue also that right. he, is, he wants them to live differently. Live in a way that's clearly different from these neighbors of yours that are totally ruled by the principalities and powers. Right. Such that when someone sees you not eating shellfish, they may say, why? Right. Whose are you? Kind of like, yeah. well, let me tell you about my God. Right. And so there's a lot of contextual reasons, like the tattoos. Like, what were tattoos? What did they mean in that time? Were they just an expression of the individual? No, they really weren't. They were part of cult worship. They were part of different things. So there, there's this context you have to know about the law specifics of the law that help inform how you understand it in that time and why would it be significant that god said you know don't take part in that i just want to say real quick fast forwarding to the to the book of acts and then in in as it unfolds in the letters of paul especially this is not a new issue right how do we handle gentiles non-jews coming into the body of christ the church and seeing what they should and shouldn't follow of the Jewish law. And that's, you know, you read the New Testament, that's a lot of what's in the New Testament is that debate. And and how do, how do they expect non-Jews to live? Are they supposed to be circumcised? Are they supposed to not eat shellfish? Are they supposed not to not eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? And how does that play out? And there was a disagreement between Peter and Paul. There was a disagreement between the Jerusalem Council and others. Like, they had to sort these things out. So it's not like we have a new issue today, right? This has been an issue since the birth of the church. How do non-Jews follow Jesus in their life? And 
you know what? Some of it's contextual, which means something has changed in terms of the law because God wasn't saying to the Jews, oh, it's contextual. He's saying, this is the law. Anybody that wants to join the Jews, which were sure. you know aliens and strangers, you had to adopt all you that You had stuff. to adopt the rules. All of a sudden now in the New Testament, that's not the case for everything. Why? And we're saying because of the atonement, because of the work of Jesus, because of the new covenant. But there's still details to work out in that that yeah. are contextual. So if you go through Leviticus 19, for example, you've got he he's saying things like do not steal, do not lie. And to me it's pretty intuitive that that's always wrong. Right. It's not like, well, we're in the New Covenant era, era now we can lie and steal, right? Um, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Always wrong. That's always wrong. Then he says, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. This is a common, like, do not wear clothing with two kinds of materials. What? Does this seem like it's just, again, use your intuition. Does it seem inherently, it seems inherently evil to defraud my neighbor? Does it seem inherently evil to put a garden out there and put two types of seeds? Does it seem inherently evil to wear nylon, cotton, blend? Like, I, I don't get the sense. So why is that? And this gets to this broad, there's this general category of distinction. Yeah. I want to make you different. You're going to literally be strange. You're going to eat differently. You're going to dress differently. And some of that, again, has positive fruit in health and in agricultural practices like some of what the well there's a reason we're just plant corn and then just plant soybean because it 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 bears more fruit it's better for the soil like so i is that the primary reason i don't know the primary reason to me is distinction but in that distinction god is also showing a better way in general that he's intended but i'm just saying that because some people say well god said it because it was healthy well I think there's more to it than that. But yes, it is healthier, or it's better for the soil, or whatever you want to say. But that's because it's the design of God. You're kind of arguing, but I see, if you go farther down with your reasoning, you you could put the food laws in the moral law. Because they're the design? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, there, I think there's a way to distinguish that, but... I am saying that in general, the ways of God are fruitful, right? Yeah, so we got to start stoning some adulterers. But again, that can be contextual, like in a certain context to do it this way. In another context, that's actually not more fruitful. So how do you distinguish that? And that's where context does matter and why it's not binding on an individual before the Lord in righteousness to do that particular practice. So, so for me, the lobster question specifically, I would put it in the, um, I guess, civil, the civil law, like literal law and practices, cultural practices, um, and then that's that's taken away because because of the work of Christ. But paired with that is the fact that God is no longer like if Christ had come and part of the work of Christ was to. It was to move us into this new era. There's a little bit of discontinuity there, where God is no longer just just ruling Israel directly as they're in a theonomy, right? So that's been removed, and so the the civil laws has been removed. But also, you know, there's a New Testament passage that literally, right? This dream that Peter has, where it says, "Rise, kill, and he dreams has this dream of a pig, which was right. You're not allowed to eat pork in the Old Testament." Now what? And then Jesus tells him, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat." And his interpretation of that dream was that God was sending him to the Gentiles because the Gentiles were considered unclean, right? So remember, he's going to go preach to Cornelius, and he's right. like, "Well, how, how do we engage with these unclean people?" And God, through this dream, is revealing to him that. They're no longer unclean, or at least potentially. You need to go to them. And he used the symbol of this pig. Why? Because that's I think that's what the symbol, that was the meaning of the pig. That was the purpose of that law, that it was a symbol. And so most, I think, theologians agree, like, oh, that's pr- the food laws have been uh, suspended. You know, like, mm-hmm. we're not suspended. Abolished. So that's how I deal with the lobster thing. 
Is it wrong to still keep the food laws is another question. I think you could. Well, so that's the, so these are the things that are, so go back to the analogy of my kids when they move out. Do they have to go to bed at seven? No, but they certainly could. If they just discern that that's what's helpful for them right. and healthy, and then great. Yeah. It's so you about, don't have to eat pig. You don't have to eat lobster. Right. But it's about how you view the law. Is this your righteousness? And this is, again, where Hebrews comes in as a really good argument against the law being your righteousness. Righteousness comes by faith. But it's about... So, for example, I you know I know there's Messianic, Jew, yes. Messianic Jews who are believing in Messiah, Jesus, and they still keep... A decent amount of this the civil law now they don't keep all of it which is a big question but but I understand aspects of why they do that and I think I think it's okay as long as what is the point of keeping that is there a sense of fulfillment of righteousness in the keeping of that law if there is there's a problem right because you're sacrificing Christ again basically over and over you're choosing to do something in place of his once for all sacrifice to make yourself righteous that's different than saying he you know i believe that i have faith in that and i just think this is a good way to live there's it's not you know there's a difference there and so i'm i'm not opposed to people that that have adopted those practices you know or or continued those practices if they're jews um but it's about what's the the view what is the the goal of that right yeah and that and that applies not just to the civil or ceremonial law but even the moral law yeah we still it applies to everything yeah yeah right so all right so that's lobsters tattoos um going on through leviticus 19 uh do not practice divination or seek omens that seems like that should always be wrong you should never be communicating with demons um and then he says do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard like hmm a strange law is that that seem again just use intuition here like and no context but but i think intuition goes a long way like does that seem inherently evil like if my beard is round no what would make it evil association you know, this is when you get into knowing the context. Like, what are the neighboring nations? What are their? We got to remember that they were a lot more out, outwardly, ritualistically pagan than we're used to seeing. Right. Right. And so, a lot of their fashion markings—they weren't like you said, just individual expression. They literally all looked the same. You can still right. see this. You go to tribes nowadays. You could, oh, you get the bone. You got the haircut a certain way. Right. It's right. because it's related to this worship, the gods they worship, and this is how they identify themselves and their gods. So God is saying you are going to be different. So you're going to look different. Your beards will look different. Yep. And I would argue this follows into the next um, commandment, which is do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves and I would say that implies for the dead that's the context he's talking about people that are doing these things for the dead their worship, ancestor worship or something like that mm-hmm. what are they doing they're rounding the edges of their beards they are putting tattoo marks on themselves and cutting their bodies so the guy's like I don't want you doing that but to me it seems intuitive that if that's not the context that you're living in, then you cut your beard however however you want. Now, so that's my argument for why it's okay to have tattoos. Like, we're just not under that. That, that was a specific contextually driven um, law that no longer abides. Now, some people say, hey, we have but, the... Right. We're the temple, the Holy Spirit. That's true. And so I would say for that reason, don't do unhealthy things, but I, I don't think tattoos... Tattoos, tattoos aren't unhealthy. Right. You may not like them, right? But right, they're not like toxic and causing cancer. And I think the and like you mentioned earlier, the the question that comes with this is now homosexuality. So yes. why is homosexuality not viewed that way? Right, and that's where people need to know how to answer that. Sure. Okay, so the first thing we've done is kind of shown why it's okay. 
you're not necessarily you're not necessarily a hypocrite just because you you eat lobster and have tattoos, but you are against sodomy or homosexuality in general. Um, so we're giving you contextual reasons why the what how to answer or look through those first two. But there's a couple things. One of the tools that you can use is not consistent. Um, is kind of are these things repeated in the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about this? What well, doesn't say anything about tattoos? That's one thing. The other thing is it doesn't repeat everything. There's a lot of hey, you have the Spirit, you have the Bible, like work as a community and intuit these things. Like, um, but if it repeats something pretty clearly, it says hey, this is not good. Then there's a sign of continuity, and that and that's kind of the main issue in the Book of Romans. Uh, mm, What's the passage that says neither idolaters nor the effeminate nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom, that kind of thing. The mm-hmm. point is, yeah. it's repeated. Where the, kind of the opposite is happening with the civil law. Paul's like, pay no attention to new moons and Sabbaths and do not eat this or do not. But this this idea of a sexual ethic is a is an, is part of the moral law that always abides. Right. It always abides. And this is where... And, and it's not just homosexuality. I just threw that out as an example because it's a catchy title. Well, sexual immorality in general. Sexual immorality, right. Is a big deal. Why? Because we see in the original uh, creation story, there's a few... There's a, there's a lot going on there. One of the main things is the pinnacle of the creation is the man and the woman. Yeah. And from there we get this 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 worldview basically on what is the purpose of men and women what is the purpose of procreation what is the purpose of dominion in the earth and it's all it's it's laid out there in genesis 1 and then it takes off from there because we have to remember something when we say law law in a jewish context is not just you know don't eat shellfish law is all the five books of moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the law. When we read Genesis 1, we are reading law. Yeah. This is one of the reasons I do consider Sabbath to be a significant debate, because Sabbath is is at the beginning. Right, the creation ordinance. It's God's seventh day. Like, ooh, what does that imply? But there's a lot there. But the reason is because law is laid out from Genesis 1 through the five books of Moses. It's not just the lists the in list Leviticus. The strict commandments, right. That's, that's kind of more getting into the Mosaic Covenant. Yeah. It's just a specific application of the law. That's right. Yes. It's an application. And then you see that the rabbis took that and ran with it in all kinds of ways. They, they wrote extra laws based on what they interpreted from the five books of Moses. And that's what Jesus actually comes against when he comes as a man, and you see him arguing with Pharisees and Sadducees and ruler and lawyers. Um, it's a lot of rain outside. I literally, it was so sunny when I got home this morning, and I had my sunroof open. I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. Then I thought, let's not do that. No, no, no. Because I'm going to be in there with Joe, and <laughs> it's really coming down. So, Jesus is not attacking Mosaic Covenant when he attacks the lawyers and the of his day he's attacking the the interpretation of the mosaic covenant he's challenging that he's saying what is the actual point of this and so it, that is something that people have to understand as well right jesus when we say yeah his context was that there were hundreds and hundreds of additional laws. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. But there were thousands at the time of Jesus in rabbinic Judaism. And he was addressing a lot of this, what is the point of the law? What is the purpose of the law? Let's get back to Genesis 1. Let's get back to the intent. What is it saying? Because he even talked about divorce this way. He went into that with them. He's like, well, you, Moses permitted this, but it was because of, basically, you're weak. He's saying, yeah, there was stuff that was said, and there was, but what was the essence of what God's intention was? Man and woman. So back to homosexuality, we're saying there's a moral aspect to this in terms of God's design that's laid out even in Genesis 1 and carried on through the five books of the law. So it's not just picking and choosing here. 
It's saying, no, this is connected to an essential part of God's design. That is different and distinct from not eating shellfish. Yeah. In, in a significant way. Right. So if you're out there and you don't, un- I mean, this we've just talked about a lot of fairly complicated things. I understand why just some onlooker says, oh, Christians are picking and choosing. And you know what? Some are. Some are. Right. But this is not what we're doing. This is nuanced, thoughtful. Let me zero in on the, the man and woman. Can I make one comment yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah. Real quick about homosexuality. Yeah. And please, I think we have to do a better job in general with this topic culturally as a church to understand that if people do not have the revelation of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit, if they don't have revelation of his purposes and intentions and design and his heart, we cannot expect them to understand the particulars of the law and why we're not being hypocrites. No. We get into a position where we start to defend ourselves to that community and try to argue on their terms, basically, which is, why are you picking and choosing? Let's decipher what this passage means. As if we don't have revelation of God in Christ and the fulfillment of all things. Let's say we don't have that. So let, we start to argue on the level apart from revelation. And we start to get into these debates, which is like, well, no, it's not that because of this. And it's not this. And don't you see that it's natural theology, you know, natural, yeah, theology, which, which uh, you know, getting into these ideas of, well, don't you just see it's natural that people procreate with, with two different genders? And, and I'm saying, why go down that road? People that don't have revel, and this is, pre- this is called presuppositional apologetics, another reformed way to approach unbelievers. It's to say this. They will never understand what we are saying and why we're arguing the way we are until they have a revelation. So we have to assume in engaging in these topics, like the law with an unbeliever, we have to assume that what we know is because God has revealed it to us through his spirit, through the word, and that is the only reason we can we have this this whole way to argue because we've seen God's intention in his design because he's revealed it to us and people can say well of course you believe that and we you know but we have to put that aside and now let's argue on natural terms and we have to say in my opinion the way to address that is no okay i have follow up on that for sure well let me emphasize one thing yeah the the to me, the main benefit of Joe and I having this conversation is not to equip you to go out into the culture and argue, but so that you're not confused right. on your own. When you see this stuff come up, you go, oh, what, what are we picking and choosing? Like, no, we understand the way your scriptures function together. Are you saying that, that we shouldn't preach the law to unbelievers? You say, well, they, they don't have revelation. Well, okay, so we should never tell people that it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to, you know, pedophilia is wrong, lying is wrong. We shouldn't tell people that, dude. They don't have revelation. Is that a proper application of the principle you just laid down? Uh, partly. Oh, dang. Because what I mean is societies have been given common grace. Right, general revelation. General. They generally revelation. They generally have laws against murder and rape. Restraining and just, evil, right? Yeah. And this is okay. This is right. But it's general revelation. It's not special revelation, right. which is the revelation of faith right. in Christ, the saving work of Christ. It's fine for people to be held accountable to the things that are generally uh, called out in by societies, by rulers, by. Uh, order in societies what we on an individual basis as believers when we go and share the gospel with our family and friends and neighbors I do believe it's different for us to say to in how we argue our position and, and what we expect of them so we can generally say and believe hey I don't think this is good I don't think this is helpful or healthy for you. But that's that's different than saying, why are you doing that? Don't you know? It's like, no, they don't know. 
they have a they have a seared conscience right and so how does that change not by me arguing right, to right, them right i don't want them to have a philosophical theoretical understanding of god's ways i want them to have a revelation of the person of jesus right. and so if i I think it's throwing a stumbling block in their way to say, actually, no, I'd like you to understand theoretically first what this is, why I would say this to you. Now, give them a hermeneutics class? Yeah, like give them a hermeneutics. Don't you understand the law? It's like, no, they don't. How are they going to understand it? Quite frankly, revelation. Yeah. And you praying for them and you demonstrating the heart of God to them. And sharing and that, the good news. Sharing the good news. I'm not saying that doesn't include saying, hey, I don't think that's good. But again, some of this comes down to emphasis. Like, is is our posture mostly going out and sharing the goodness of God because, man, we enjoy him? And then along with that sometimes comes some kind of prophetic word to the powers and the culture that, you know, challenge their assumptions as a as an, a, an accompaniment. Or is that what we're doing? Are we just there, actually? We're just in the culture wars. We want to fight. We want to argue. We want to argue for our culture. We want to, right. you know, get on... We're keyboard warriors like and then every once in a while we might share the good news right so i think that's maybe kind of what you're saying too is like the major major on the thing that will actually open the eyes which is what the preaching of the gospel here's who god is here's what he's done in christ for us and in that the spirit comes and can bring regeneration revelation and then you can invite them to your hermeneutics class right (laughs) right so i mean that's just there's a lot in that but i i think it has to be said because there's this with homosexuality in particular it becomes this really hot topic that people don't know how to approach and i think because there's confusion about all that stuff and well it's it's loaded man it gets into i mean i understand why it's so feverish because it gets into identity and uh politics and People feel. Th- I mean, I this this gay chorus from San Francisco just put out this song yesterday or a couple days ago. It was, "We're coming for your kids." And it's like, oh gosh, like, which I'm not saying you should fear that, but I'm just saying I understand why it's so heightened. I mean, this is the height of the culture wars right it now. Is. And, so back back to the man and woman as revelation of God. You know, male and female, he created them right in his image. He created them. Them, the two of them. Reveal the image of God. Now, in one sense, we all bear the image of God, but there's a, he looked at Adam and said, this is not enough. This is insufficient. And so I'm going to make a suitable helper for him, and she's going to be different than him. And, they're gonna, and yet they're going to complement one another in the way they cooperate, in the way they live, and the way they have sex. This is sex between one man, one woman, together forever, right? So Adam wasn't going to like get another bride and this wasn't – so any, any variation from that is a – is a violation of the moral design of, of sexuality. So, of course, I picked sodomy because of blah, blah, blah. It's a prov- prov- provocative term, and homosexuality is a current issue. But this isn't just about homosexuality. This is about adultery. This is about lust outside of your marriage. This is about premarital sex. This is about pedophilia. This is about uh, group sex. This is about divorce. This is about polyamory. This is like, right. there's the standard. Right. And we've all failed in, in different ways. Right. Right. Um, so that's another thing. Like, be careful when you're like, oh, those those homosexuals. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, well, you're probably driving up the uh, porn statistics on your own. So right. careful. But anyway, just to be clear, that's, that's its purpose. It is showing ultimately God. And then I would argue what he's foreshadowing there is the union between Christ and the church, right? That's ultimately what it serves, right? It's showing the image of God, but who is God? He's this God who's making this bride. Who's what? Different than him. And they're going to be covenanted forever. It's never going to leave or forsake her. Right. And he's going to singularly focus his passion on blessing her and bring her to the point where she does likewise. And she's singularly fo- focused on him. That's the new creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there it is. It's a lot there. I got to wrap this up because I got to head to lunch. I'm going to go yeah. eat some pig. Eat some pig. That's good. Uh, I got a couple minutes. Any final thoughts on any of this? Well, I feel like, yeah, I mean, we got into a lot of a lot of can of worms, which is good. It There's obviously a lot to think through, and I think that's what... 
I think that's what people need to approach this with is a is a humility that this is a this is a broad and uh, extensive subject. Like yeah. there's no easy quick answer to this. And I mean, I think there are answers. So we've given them. We've given you a couple basic categories of thought, but right. You know, we can resource you further. I mean, we have plenty of resources. There's tons of resources on this stuff. And I, I think, well, one that we I mentioned once in a sermon was Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, which yeah. is a really readable book. It's really short. I just, I think it helps to clarify a few of these aspects. Not all of them, but it, in general, it gives you a framework. And it's, interestingly, it's written by Messianic Jews. So they're, they, they are looking at the the purpose of the law, right. like we're talking about, and I think they have some really helpful things to say. They're not covenant theologians. They're not reformed, as far as I understand. They're they're coming from a more um, well Jewish background, but they are, they're believers. They they have a really good grasp on the Old Testament, and even within rabbinic Judaism, what is it? How has it been interpreted, and how has that been wrong? So. Um, that's a good resource, reading Moses, seeing Jesus. And then um, if you don't know about covenant theology, there's one. There's a book out there called Covenants Made Simple. That's by John T. Rhodes. Um, and that just lays out what are the covenants. It's really readable. Uh, you know, read that. You yeah. know, look at that. It's a good start. And we, there's plenty, plenty of audio and video out there, and we can, we can direct you if you have that desire. So anyways, that's it. we got to wrap. Joe. Thank you. Goodbye to all. We'll see you soon.